0: Hi, Grace DC. It's good to be with you again on this Lord's Day to gather virtually to worship our God. My name is Mike. I serve as one of the pastors in the Grace DC Network, and I want to welcome all of you to our online service, especially for those of you joining us for the first time. The Christian Gospel tells us that God welcomes and celebrates His people because of our faith in the finished work of Christ. On the cross, the Bible tells us, Jesus took our shame and guilt in exchange for his perfect righteousness. And that's why as we come to worship today, we don't have to worry about our performance or the lack thereof. But we come confidently knowing that Christ has done the work. And so we fix our gaze, our faith on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith as we worship today. Let's uh, respond to God's invitation in the call to worship from Psalm chapter 9, and we will read this responsibly. Please follow along in the bold text. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalted in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion, tell among the peoples his deeds. Join me as we pray. Father, we thank you that you welcome us and you celebrate us, just as we are. Lord, Thank you that we as your people, your children, can come confidently and boldly into your presence without fear or shame because of what Christ has done for us. And Lord, our prayer is that even today, as we're reminded of this gospel, that you will continue to form us into the likeness of your Son so that we become agents of this good news in our homes, in our neighbors, as we seek to bring you glory and honor, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. Please join me as we sing together.
1: justices of our world. And the amazing thing about Psalm 82 is it gives voice to the people of God to lament injustice from those who are given authority and power to rule for the sake of the least of these. So that's what we're going to lament together appropriately right now. Melissa's going to lead us in every section.
0: Said, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This promise, this word of blessing, is not for perfect people, but it's for broken people. Broken people who come boldly into God's presence, knowing that He does not despise us because of our weakness but He receives us with mercy because of our humility and faith in Him. And so, as we enter into a time of confession, let's remember that God does not call us to confession so that we can be reminded of our sin, period. No, confession is not the goal. For believers, confession is a means of grace by which we are formed into the likeness of Christ in His moral character so that we can live out the mission of loving God and neighboring well. Will you join me as we pray this prayer of confession together? And afterwards, I want to give you just a minute or so to go to God in your own words to confess uh, your sin to the Lord. Let's pray together. Our God, we confess that we are often hardened and blind to our unrighteousness. Although you have treated us with gentleness and righteousness, we turn around and treat others with harshness and injustice through our words and actions. We're very quick to find fault in others and slow to see it in ourselves. In this way, we have despised your mercy. O Lord, forgive our sin. Amen. Let's now enter into a silent prayer. Father, we come before you as your people, acknowledging our brokenness and all the ways that sin manifests itself uh, in our lives. We ask for your mercy. We ask that you would forgive us. And we ask that by the same grace, you would transform us. In Christ's name, amen. When we come before God, presenting all of ourselves before him, And we own our sin and brokenness. He receives us, and He shows us mercy. And that's what the Christian gospel is all about. So for all of us who have done that, here now uh, is God's word of forgiveness to you from Romans chapter 5. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Praise the Lord for his mercy. Amen. Today's scripture reading is Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the
1: shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This past weekend, I officiated the funeral of my aunt back home in Pennsylvania. This sad and difficult occasion was intensified due to the pandemic, but it was also uh, intensified because of the burden that I was already carrying as a result of the murder of George Floyd by law enforcement. As my family gathered in the graveyard, I stood beside the casket officiating and I just felt weary. And after the service, I started my trip back home to DC and I turned on the radio in time to learn that our city was burning in response to the murder. And my weariness deepened. And for the rest of my car ride home, I prayed and reflected on a question. What makes many Christian people in America feel like giving up? What makes us feel like giving up? And here are a few things that came to mind. One, as American Christians we largely expect a struggle-free life. Despite the fact that globally and historically human struggle is the norm, we often find ourselves thinking some version of the idea. It just shouldn't be this hard. So, when trials come, they feel especially overwhelming and disorienting. Two, we expect fast and easy results. We've come to believe many different versions of a prosperity gospel. And this leaves us completely unprepared for trials. Somehow in our minds, we believe that when we come into the Christian faith, God generally gives us a nice life. And God generally gives us a pretty awesome career trajectory. Nowhere on our horizon, generally speaking, our trials and difficulties and disappointments. We don't typically think of the Christian life in that way because we have some version of a prosperity gospel. Three, why do we often feel like giving up? We feel outmatched, whether by external forces and institutions or internal desires and emotions We feel our legs buckling underneath the weight. And I know that this has been the case for many of us in these recent days. We feel outmatched for the problems that are out there. We feel outmatched by the the tightness of our circumstances during this pandemic. We feel outmatched. And it makes us want to give up. Four, I think oftentimes we conclude that the struggle doesn't matter and it won't produce any good. And I think this is, this is a, a deep-seated thing for many of us. We feel the creep of cynicism that says, what's the use of struggling if it's not going to amount to anything? This is pointless. Why should I even put any effort into this? Why should I fight? Why shouldn't I give up? It's all pointless anyway. Five, we succumb to an orphan mentality. We think something along the lines of, nobody's looking out for me. And if I'm going to make it, I have to make it on my own. But right now, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I, I feel weak. I don't feel like I have anything else to give. So I might as well just give up. Six, finally, and related to the previous reason, we give up at times because we feel like we're all alone. Nobody understands, nobody can relate. My problems are utterly unique. I'm completely isolated, and I can't count on any help coming from anybody. We at times, feel like giving up. All of us at some time or another, for some reason or another, feel like giving up. We all feel like we can't keep going at some point in our lives. And if you haven't experienced that yet, there will come a day where you feel that very thing. But the Christian faith has something to say, something to offer to us in these dark days. When we hit the moments where we feel like giving up, the Christian faith has something to say. The, the Christian scriptures have lots of resources for us to lay hold of. And as we close this series on the life of faith from the book of Hebrews, the writer, Of Hebrews is going to show us how to have an enduring faith by pointing us to Christ as the paradigm of faith. So we're going to approach uh, this final message uh, through two points, where we see the life of Christ and the vision of Christ. How can we have an enduring faith? I think this is particularly relevant to our current moment, how can we have an enduring faith? How can we have a faith that is able to weather the difficulties of this life? We need to consider the life of Christ, and we need the vision of Christ. So let's look at our first point, the life of Christ. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we've been looking at the flawed faith of God's people through the ages. We've been getting these snapshots of faith as it has shown up in the lives of all of these characters in the scriptures through the ages. Through a variety of situations and through a, a diversity of challenges and threats to God's promises, they trusted the Lord. And their lives were not a perfect expression. Of unwavering faith, but the writer of Hebrews points us to the key moments where true faith showed up in their lives. And it's a beautiful thing because we have seen that the life of faith can be lived. He he has walked us through the legacy of faith, the faith demonstrated by the saints through the ages, and now he's going to make a move in his argument. He's going to add another layer to the to the communication that he has written to his friends and that transition takes place in chapter 12 if you would look at verse 1 he says therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses he gives us this this backward looking reminder it's a transition type of statement since we are surrounded by this 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 group of people who have shown us the reliability of God in all different kinds of struggles. Since we have this legacy of faith, this demonstration of God's trustworthiness by the saints, this cumulative demonstration of God's goodness and faithfulness through the ages, and not only that, to to mention that we 21st century believers have an even greater cloud of witnesses that shows us what faith looks like. I think particularly uh, relevant to our moment is the black church bearing witness to the urgency of justice for the vulnerable and the marginal. Since we have this cloud of witnesses, he continues on, let us also lay aside every weight and sin and let us run with endurance. This picture that he's drawing, the language that he's using, is the the picture of removing clothing before a race. He's saying there are things that you have to lay aside if you're going to run this race with endurance. If you don't lay these things aside, you're going to get tripped up, and it's going to compromise your ability to run the race. You have to lay aside the weight of people-pleasing in order to run this race. You have to lay aside the fear of man to run this race well. You'll have to lay aside the sins of apathy and self-centeredness and callousness to run this race of faith well. And you may even have to lay aside some of the good things that have become distracting things in order to run this race well. But then he continues and he gets to the heart of it. Look at the text, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, what the writer of Hebrews does here is he makes this important move in his transition. He has shown us the flawed faith of God's people through the ages, but now he takes us to the picture of perfect example of faith in the life of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we see both the ultimate object of faith and the ultimate subject of faith, which is to say he's not only the one whom we trust, he's the one who shows us how to trust. We can look to Jesus and rest in him, but we must also look to Jesus and trust like him. We are rescued by the faithfulness and the faith of Jesus. The the writer of Hebrews is inviting us to go back to the life of Christ, back to the faith of Christ, back to the endurance of Christ, even to the cross, and to see this as our model for the life of faith that we are now seeking to live. In other words, we should think about this. When we go back to Jesus, we see our Redeemer and our example. Think about this. If Jesus had given up his faith in the Father in the face of the adversities that he faced, the world would remain in ruin. If Jesus had let go of his faith in the Father's justice to exact vengeance on his false accusers, then we'd have no good news. If Jesus had allowed opposition to intimidate him and silence his voice of truth, we would remain in our deadly ignorance and darkness. But as he was arrested under false pretenses, he endured. As he was falsely accused and unjustly condemned to die, he endured. As he was flogged and scourged and mocked, he endured and at the pinnacle of his sufferings when he was surrounded by the darkness of evil and attacked by the hatred of humanity he endured and the writer of hebrews is saying you must endure like your savior in communion with your savior but he doesn't stop there he tells these christians that they can endure like their savior by taking up the vision of their Savior, which brings us to our next point, the vision of Christ. Now, he invites us to go back, to observe, to study, to meditate upon, to reflect on the life and faith of Jesus Christ. As the God-man, as the perfect expression of humanity, we saw in him and can continue to see in him what faith looks like in its perfect most obedient, most beautiful form. But the writer of Hebrews helps us to see that there was something going on in Jesus that that helped him to maintain his faith, that helped him to have a faith that endured. Look at verse 2 again. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Think about this. Christ had the jeering crowds beside him. He had the violent soldiers behind him. He had the heavy cross upon him. He had the quaking ground beneath him. He had the dark sky above him. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured. For the joy of pleasing his Father in heaven, he endured. For the joy of setting His people free, He endured. For the joy of restoring this world to newness, He endured. For the joy of ending evil and injustice, He endured. For the joy of reuniting His divided people, He endured the cross. He endured the shame of the cross, and he considered it to be of little concern, and now he sits enthroned at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is the paradigm of enduring faith, but it was a vision of joy that gave endurance to his faith, and all those who are running this race with a plan to make it to the finish line, must look to him as both their Savior and their example of faith. And that's why the writer tells these friends to consider, verse 3, him who endured from sinners such hostility. Against himself. Consider, reason carefully, deliberate, reflect upon Jesus and his faith, the way he turned his heart to the Father. Think about all the cause that Jesus had in his life to give up. He was, of all human beings in the history of the world, most un- misunderstood. The people that he had lived life with for for 3 years non-stop constantly misunderstood him constantly didn't get him were constantly living lives that would have disappointed anyone else he was betrayed by his friends he was abandoned by his friends his life came to a, a, a short end 33 years Think about all the cause that Jesus had for being disappointed. The people that he had made did not appreciate him or recognize him. He was a man of sorrows. That was his title. He he was one, the prophet Isaiah says, from whom men hide their faces. Nobody really understood him. They only wanted to use him or persecute him. Of all people, Jesus had reason to give up, but it was his vision of joy that gave endurance to his faith. That's why we must consider him who endured. He didn't just endure the the providence of, of difficulty that he experienced. He endured the personal attacks from people in his life. He endured hostility from people, personal animus that was aimed against him. He endured and did not grow weary or faint-hearted. This text shows us the essence of discipleship, the essence of following Jesus. Old school Pastors and theologians said that God had one child who was free from sin, but God never had a child who was free from suffering. We have to understand and remember that the religion of Jesus is the religion of the cross. And there never was a true Christian without a cross. We have to take up this identity as a cruciform people. Yes, there's a cross to bear. And a lot of times it's not going to feel fair. It's not going to feel good. But it's in these moments that we are most identified with Jesus, when we are cross-bearing. Particularly when we are cross-bearing for the benefit of the Beloved. When we are cross-bearing to see things made right for the benefit of the other, to see justice enacted for the other, to see the oppressed and marginalized brought in and enfranchised and beloved enfolded into the family and raised up, it's particularly in these moments of cross-bearing for the benefit of others that we are most like Jesus. What I take from the writer of Hebrews here is he's showing us that the faith of Jesus is something for us to emulate. But he's showing us that we too must look at the joy that is set before us. We must endure for the joy set before us. For the joy of seeing the Father's smiling face, we must endure. For the joy of seeing peace and justice in our country and in our city, we must endure in the faith. For the joy of entering into a tearless, matchless, and sinless world, we must endure. For the the joy of seeing our neighbors and our co-workers and our children join us, we must endure. We can endure verbal assaults because we will hear God say, well done. We can endure misrepresentation because we will one day be represented before the Father as Beloved. We can endure physical afflictions because we run toward resurrection life. But we must take up the vision of Christ and put on the mind of Christ as we live this life in this world right now. And we have to know because of what we witness in the life and faith of Jesus Christ That those initial considerations as to why people give up are rolled back by the Christian faith. We are not outmatched when we are in Jesus Christ. The struggle matters and will bear fruit because God redeems all of our sorrows and sufferings. And we are not orphans, but beloved adopted children. And we're not alone. Because God is with us, and this is the age of Pentecost. and, And Jesus has poured out His Spirit as the Comforter. The Comforter who bears witness in our hearts that we are children of God. And testifies to us of who we are. When everything in the world is conspiring to lie to us and tell us that that's not what we are. So this week... I want to encourage you to look to Jesus with sacred imagination. Get back into the life of Jesus and consider the life of faith that he lived. And consider the joy set before you. Consider the joy that is on the other side of every trial that you're facing now. Every trial in God's hands becomes a servant of your joy. God never brings a trial into the life of his people that he is not tailoring to increase your joy and mature you in love and in faith and in hope. That's how your trials work in God's economy. They are your servants. So don't despair don't give up. Take perspective. Think about the vices that God is taking away from you through the trials. Think about the virtues that he's building into you through the seasons of difficulty and the wrestling. Think about how he's positioned you in your times of trial to be a blessing to your neighbor. Think about how you might encourage someone in our community this week. I want you to really take this one to heart. It is easy for Christians who are accustomed to a certain level of ministry, to a certain level of local church output, to always sit back and critique and complain and to share their critiques and their complaints. And and you know what times of stress do? They just increase our propensity to complain and to take shots. But why don't you think about who you can encourage this week? There's someone that needs a text message from you. There's someone who needs an email from you. There's someone who needs a phone call from you. Because they're not going to be able to see the joy on the other side of their trial, but the way God has built community is in such a way that you might be the person that helps them to see the joy that is before them. You are designed by God to be a participant in the transformation of of your brothers and sisters. They should not know you as their chief critic, but as their chief encourager. So why don't you act upon that this week? Help one of your brothers and sisters to see the joy that is set before them. Help them to be encouraged. As you see real faith, Jesus-like faith in their lives, affirm it, encourage it, celebrate it. And in whatever ways you see an opportunity for them to grow, gently and lovingly, encourage them to rise up into that. We must remember in these times that we're resurrection people. And we must pray and ask God to give us grace so that we will have an enduring faith. May it be said of us as we continue to press through a pandemic and and consider to think about ways that we as a community can live the life of justice and be the kind of Jesus people that the world needs right now. As we can think about the way that we serve as peacemakers, not faux peace, where there is no justice, but real peacemakers seeking shalom and wholeness for all of our neighbors and members of our community. Let's think about what it looks like for us to express an enduring faith, to trust in the Lord, not just like the great cloud of witnesses, but as our Savior himself. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you praise. We give you praise because of the way that you have modeled the faith before us. You have shown us the life of faith and you have also become our salvation through living that life of faith so beautifully and perfectly. We give you praise, Lord, for pouring out your spirit on us and we ask that you would help us in these weary days. Some of us are feeling weary and beat down and ready to give up. But Lord, we pray that you would meet them, meet us. Lord, we think of friends who not only feel the wrestling with the providences of this life and the the sufferings of this world, but they also have their own chemical imbalances that plot against them, it seems, and they have to wrestle with real mental health issues. Lord, those Brothers and sisters are on our hearts as well. We know that it intensifies that struggle. But Lord, we know that you are faithful to your people, that you cannot be anything but good to your people. It is a cosmic impossibility for you to do anything but be good to your children. We believe, but help our unbelief. And Lord, we pray that you would help us in some small way to be a balm in this city right now. And we pray for all the churches in the city right now that they would not sit on their hands, that they would not remain passive, but they would use whatever means they have at their disposal to advance the kingdom and to be a part of righting what is wrong. We pray for our brothers and sisters in our congregations who are walking with Jesus as law enforcement, protect their lives, help them to be salt and light in their places of work and to show a different way of relating to the public. Lord, there are so many things we can ask you for, so many needs we have, but we commit these things into your hands and ask for the grace to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.
2: My hope is built on nothing less than